you mustn't go outside. If the plague doesn't get you, the toxic culture will. But let's be serious. Worldview sewage pours out from your TV screens and from YA novels, and new generations of parents, not just grumpy Christians, are waking up to nasty notions about sex and self-worship in the stories that their kids enjoy or that they want to enjoy. That is dirty stuff infesting our world. Do we need clean reads to keep out the filthy fiction? Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we find and explore the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond any type of fantastical story. We apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, and I'm blessed to publish lorehaven.com. I also helped to co-author a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and we need to clean up an aisle three, and this is episode 81, Should Christians Use Clean Fiction to Fight a Dirty World? And Stephen, I'm really interested in this topic because having kids, man, that this is something we talk about probably all the time. We have one older kid in our house, and we don't get a lot of dirty fiction in the house, and we'll obviously define that in just a little bit. It's not just stuff with porn can be other worldview things, you know, violence, anything like that. And mostly these days, it's just ideas. But fortunately, at least we don't see a whole lot of that here. But it's not just about the kids, everybody. That's a point we will strongly emphasize here. And I think that's an assumption we get from at least a previous generation of a Christian discernment materials is that this is all about just trying to protect the kids. And I'm sitting over here going, what about uh, grown-ups? Like, I don't want dirty stuff in my eyeballs either. Uh, not because I get poisoned from the world necessarily, but because I'm allergic. Like, I don't have a strong enough immune system uh, to ward off this stuff. It's going to bring up temptations from out of me that I don't want to deal with. And sometimes, even if I can deal with it, I don't want to. I'm tired. I do a lot of work, including worldview work. And sometimes I just want to relax Sometimes I just want something that is wholesome and is not going to dump a bunch of poisonous ideas into my minds. This is a perennial topic, but as we'll see in a moment, Zach, uh, both of us have reasons for why we're choosing to address it now uh, before we head into October. And uh, a lot of great guests coming up and a lot of scary topics for Spectober, this Halloween slash fall festival season. We talked previously about people canceling Netflix over a particularly egregious show that Netflix just pulled out all the stops for to promote and um, boy, all kinds of people had trouble with that. It was pretty bipartisan, actually. I'm actually, I forgot about that, but I've been Netflix free for almost a whole year and have not missed it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our, our family, we, we watch a lot of Disney plus and man, a, a lot of, a lot of shows in there are great. A lot of Star Wars, a lot of Marvel, but uh, Disney makes a lot of other content that Naomi and I have a lot of conversations with the kids about. And it's, it's like you said, it's just kind of exhausting. It's like you're always kind of on alert, whether it's for particular kinds of content or particular worldviews or just a certain way that, you know, kids are portrayed and teens are portrayed as though it's normative and healthy uh, when it's actually very destructive to families and, and friends. And so, you know, we're, we're going to be talking today about, like I said, some of the obvious ways that we, we separate clean and unclean fiction, but also some of the more subtle ways that I think uh, worldly thinking weaves its way into stories. 
And, you know, Stephen, this started from an article I sent you from uh, Roger Ayers, the American Conservative.com. This was mostly some reader emails that he was quoting. He didn't have a whole lot of his own thoughts on this article, and we'll link to this in the show notes. The, the article is called Saving Your Child from the Village. How, how did that article strike you? Like, could, could you relate to that? I did relate to that. It did sound very familiar. It struck me as a more evolved, uh, that is, more developed version, more advanced version of some very familiar concerns. Uh, when I was a kid starting to be aware of how Christians were interacting with the popular culture around them, uh, I began to see that Christians mainly objected to sometimes some weird uh, content issues in popular culture. Usually novelty would tend to trip uh, the Christians' alarms, uh, not always in a good way. Uh, sometimes people would get offended. For example, um, oh, Zach, you remember that episode we did in, it was last year, about the turmoil in the toy box. That, that's kind of yes. a good a moderate to extreme example of the, the kinds of alarmism I'm talking about. People later on, for example, in the 90s would be very annoyed by Bart Simpson having a bad attitude. Uh, Bart Simpson was disrespectful to his parents. And just, I mean, it was more the general uh, nihilism or nihilism of the Simpsons, I think, that was the real issue there. And then even now, a, a lot of uh, a lot of Simpson fans are not thrilled with that show. I'm not part of that fandom, so I can't comment either way. But generally, a, a lot of those concerns were not as drastic as the concerns that we're seeing now. And so that's why I think a lot of people, including Rod Dreher and his readers, are going back to kind of an old idea of, well, let's just dump popular culture entirely. I'm not sure we can engage with this like we thought we could. Mm -hmm. And they're returning to the older idea of, well, let's just let's just keep it all out. I think, and, and I think you'd agree, I think that they're missing a rather third possibility. They're missing a big possibility. Of, well, it doesn't mean you have to dump all the fandoms, you guys. Like, go join other fandoms, like Christian-made ones, stories that are made by Christians, including the new stuff, like the books we are reviewing at Lorehaven from several publishers and authors. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of us may be called to actually start new fandoms as well. You don't have to get rid of fandom because other people are abusing it to promote their false religion. The Latin phrase recurs again. I love it. Abuse is non tolit usum. Abuse does not disqualify proper use. Yeah. So we could just end the show right there and say, hey, all you readers of Rod Dreher, just come over to Lorehaven. Check out our books. There we go. Roll the uh, outro music. Go download some done. of those uh, <laughs> new audiobooks announced uh, from uh, Oasis Audio uh, on yeah. Publishing, one of the top Christian fantastical book publishers. Uh, just this last week, they announced an official partnership with Oasis Audio to do audiobooks. Like there are good Christian creators out there making this stuff. You don't have to cover your eyes to block out all of the dirtiness from the major popular culture world. Uh, open them, squint just a little bit. And then you'll see that Christians are making great stuff that may not be a clean read, but it's certainly not as obsessed with sexual identity and other evils as the majority popular culture is increasingly obsessed. There's an element of this whole debate about fandom and whether you should abandon a fandom if it's too unclean. It's not just, you know, are you looking for something to read or watch? It's, are you looking for something to read and watch with your friends? You know, th this is a, this uh, article that we're going to quote from. It's, you know, parents talking about their kids, like their nine-year-old kids or teenage kids having friends that are really into a certain book series or really into a certain streaming series. And the parents going, well, you know, I know this is what your friends just love to talk about and, and dive into and enjoy. So I guess we can try it, you know, so you can kind of build bridges with these friends or whatever. And then things just kind of going south. This one parent 
uh, starts off the article by saying, there's a certain kind of conservative who looks at this trend, and then Rod Dreher makes an insert to say, the corruption of fandom by gender ideology obsessives, and says, good riddance, unplug it all. Now your lazy nerd kids can spend all day at the gym lifting weights or learn to play a musical instrument and won't be wasting time on the fandom of some media-marketed TV show or book series. This parent so, says, while engaging with the Rod Dreher fandom using a plugged-in device or a device that needed a plug <laughs> at one point to post the comment, I'll just point that out a little bit. Uh, yeah. Interesting contrast there. So, I mean, okay, so they're, they're kind of setting the stage here of like, do we even need fandom? And sure enough, so I don't think this parent really agrees with that view, but you know, you scroll down to the comment sections and you can definitely see people that say this, like, I don't even know what franchise fandom is. And that seems like a waste of time. And I mean, I enjoy TV like anyone else, but I don't want to read about it and talk about it. Like that means you're part of a fandom and you don't know it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> just, just taking you by surprise should be self-aware about these kinds of things. Yeah. But. Well, and so, so to clarify what we've talked about, we're talking about the, the fandom of fiction, you know, because there are fandoms of all kind. People are in fandoms for sports teams. Uh, you know, Steve and I have a lot of friends right now at the office that are into fantasy football. It's, it's the one fantasy genre we don't review at Lore Haven. Yeah. <laughs> and God bless them. They ask me every year, do you want to join fantasy football? And like, I, I don't watch football. I mean, I watch the Aggies. That's still that's more than I, I would school, watch. That's all I really care about. Yeah. So I'm like, I, is, is this a fantasy football thing just for the Aggies? Because if not, I, I have no idea. I don't follow that fandom. And I, so there's all kinds of fandoms. We're, we're specifically talking about the fandom of popular culture. You know, this parent goes on to say, quote, I've given up on having any kind of fandom myself, except of a few retro franchises that I can pretend are closed. But even that no longer feels safe. What's LGBT representation going to look like in the new Tolkienverse show on Amazon? After feeding that fandom for years, do I suddenly have to start telling my own children to avoid interacting with anyone who acts too enthusiastic about Middle Earth? Is there any safe ground left? Will they come for Narnia next? End quote. Man, this hit me between the eyes, Stephen. This is exactly how I've been feeling. You've been like super excited about the new Tolkien series. The, the new Lord of the Rings series. I'm I'm so skeptical. I'm cautious, cautiously <laughs> cautious. I haven't been super excited. I would say I'm a, I've been very cautious. I, I've been a I've, I've been in a wait and see mode. Now I'm mainly excited now because apparently, according to I think it was Deadline Hollywood, actually reputable outlet, was saying that Howard Shore, the soundtrack composer for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogy, was potentially returning for this series, which would gain so much continuity then at least musically uh, between the original films and this series and it represents an effort to bridge the uh, the two projects creatively if you talk about peter jackson's uh, middle earth verse and the amazon middle earth verse okay so is it uh, technically the same verse uh, regardless of what weird adaptations they put it in well, Howard Shore might make it feel the same. So uh, just to clarify, yeah, I'm, I'm moderately interested, but I'm, I think we're closer than you may think there. I'm a little bit skeptical, especially because it's this huge corporate project and Peter Jackson, before he was the Peter Jackson, was a crazy struggling independent filmmaker in a nation that was not known for being a filmmaking haven. Uh, you got this indie streak in the Lord of the Rings films before it became so huge. And Amazon starts out being so huge. And so that alone, I think, even apart from any themes they may put in there that are 
alien to Middle Earth. Uh, that alone gives me pause. So th- th- this last quote here, this also really hits it. So, and I, I this person could be me. Uh, this this uh, reader says, "Quote: Every new property, whether it's original or the rebooting of a Gen X classic, is simply obligated to pay out a wokeness tax." Now, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. I'll let my children watch this stuff with my supervision sometimes, when we can talk about it along the way, but I can't let them enjoy unsupervised spaces with peers. Certainly not virtual spaces, since those peers are not going to exercise similar discretion. End quote. And this person goes on to say, look, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. Again, this is a Gen X parent. I totally relate to this. Like Gen X was the, we were the latchkey kids of the 20th century, you know, the late 20th century. We, we got along just fine watching all kinds of Simpsons episodes and other things on our own. And now we're like, man, we don't want to be the helicopter parents, but it, they're so right that even these fandoms that we grew up with that are being rebooted, it's like they must conform to all of this, you know, the, the gender obsessiveness, the, uh, the, the totalitarian political movements that are happening. And it's like, ah, it's hard to even watch them, much less let your kids just go off on their own and watch them and enjoy them with their friends. And, uh, yeah, what, what's a parent to do, Stephen? Well, Zach, you've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, we've laughed a bit at the Captain Planet propaganda, that cartoon <laughs> of the early 90s. With you know Captain Evil Polluter Master Business Tycoon Esquire and you know Senior Sludge and any of those other <laughs> weird villains like okay that is just corny as I'll get out you know that's worse than the Christian T-shirt uh, that uses you know Jesus name in place of the Seven Up logo or something uh, and and that's that is just way way more cringe uh, but even then even then uh, you were just uh, applying some kind of you know particular. Uh, leftist ideology towards uh, the the ideas of the environment or something you know now it's almost exclusively you mentioned earlier it's the what would you call it the the, the gender obsessive i mean that is really kind of what we're talking here and and we do assume that it's, yeah it's kind of an early grab from the concession stand we'll get to in a moment is that yes we are going to assume here on fantastical truth that we don't go in for that sort of thing uh and it is one of the biggest deceptions going on in the world probably the top growing fastest growing false religion and i do call it a religion it has many tributaries many denominations and varieties uh, but it is a false religion and it is being instituted at the government level uh, in america that's in defiance of the first amendment by the way the government's not allowed to uh, establish a particular church uh, certainly not at the federal level uh, and yet that's just what they're doing so that's the political side point uh, the main point is that we are dealing here with the advancement of a particular religion that's obsessed with sexual identity uh, as opposed to previous concerns about the dirty world that would include like you know captain planet who's trying to throw all the business people under the bus uh that's nothing uh by comparison that is nothing you know so what i mean i'm, I'm a little skeptical okay your 10 year old grows up uh, thinking that you know the tycoon in uh, city x wants to dump his pollutants into the river um you can fix that and by the way tycoon from city x probably does want to dump his pollutants in the river. You know, that's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Uh, but the worst pollutant here is, is some of this, this stuff in our dirty world, this obsession with sexual identity. Uh, it's, it's the, the peak of navel gazing as, and self-centeredness. And we could just go on and on, you know, defining how much we don't like it. <laughs> fantastical truth, but we just do need to take that as a given. And it is a given that we are looking out at the world of popular culture. I mean, I helped write a book called The Pop Culture Parent, 
uh, we're not being sentimentalist about this. Uh, we are looking out at a groaning world and saying, yes, there's a lot of dirt out there. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of false ideas. Uh, we're not going to be those uh, really intelligent Christians who say, well, the real problems are actually in the church, so we need to get our house in order before we critique our neighbors. They just don't know what's going on. Like uh, Some of them do know what's going on. Let's not treat our pagan neighbors as children. Uh, and the people who are making, you know, stories with this kind of dirt in them, a lot of them also know what's going on. Let's respect them as a, a honest foe uh, in a ways, uh, rather than just pretend and deceive ourselves about what's really happening. Well, and I think you said it right. A lot of this is competing religions. So we, we've, we've mentioned gender ideology. We'll mention a few other things. It's based on this metaphysical view of the soul and, and, and the body. You know, there's a very different view of what it means to be male or female, which way you should conform your life. Like do you conform your identity based on your body or do you conform your body based on your identity? And it's very much in competition with Romans 12. Uh, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the Christian way is to conform ourselves to God's word and, and that be the standard that we live by. Uh, whereas you know, a lot of these ideologies that we'll get into, it is about, it is the other way around. It's taking certain ideologies for granted and then conforming your life to those standards. And so in a way it's about, you know, how can we find things that are not hostile to the Christian faith or at least neutral? <laughs> you know, Stephen, you mentioned Captain Planet. When I was growing up, we didn't have a problem with Captain Planet in my family, but I, I had other friends that weren't allowed to watch it because their parents said, wait, that's teaching pantheism. And it probably was. Yeah. And there, I'm like, there's mother oh, earth maybe. and everything in there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's but like you said, it's so silly. It's, it's like, it's, it's yeah. not, well, it doesn't easy really for take us itself to say. seriously. Yeah. Well, yeah. True. Yeah. Looking back, it is kind of silly, but uh, yeah, but I, I understand that point of view. Like, well, look, this is teaching a very different religion. This is teaching a very different eschatology in a way. So look, we're Christians. We're not going to watch that because that doesn't conform to a Christian point of view. So that's sort of what almost more what we're talking about at a base level of how do you find a fandom that's not a threat to the developing worldview of your children? All right. And that's what we find a lot in even the correspondence uh, at Lorehaven or any of the you know, Christian fiction uh, fans groups that I'm a part of or any of the friends I have. Like a lot of the feedback often presumes, I think rightfully, that yes, there's a dirty world out there and these fake religious ideas are increasingly infecting our fandoms. Uh, a lot of this discussion came up uh, in response to the uh, Josiah uh, DeGraff uh, series about uh, should Christians cancel woke stories? And we had a lot of, uh, we actually had a pretty good uh, discussion about that in a, in a recent episode. But another assumption that uh, readers often make is, well, then we need clean fiction. Uh, I, I want to find a clean read. I want a clean romance. I want to find a fantasy that's appropriate for kids ages 8 to 15, and it needs to be clean. And people keep using the word clean and presuming that clean fiction is a universal good, uh, as they may presume uh, that our world is a universal bad, that secular fiction is a universal bad. Uh, we are going to challenge that just a little bit. Uh, but that leads to our concession stand, which I'll, let's see. Oh, yeah, five items here. Let's see. There's a hot dog. Uh, there's kind of a cream-filled donut. Um, and there's, yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm not going to unwrap that one. That one looks nasty. We'll just stick with these ones here. Uh, first concession here, we will not be legalistic against clean fiction. Um, I've mentioned earlier uh, that there's kind of this, uh, 
It's kind of this edgelord uh, uh, view that some Christians, particularly from more strict households or environments, will have. Is like, I don't clean fiction is the only evil. You know, the church is just trying to clean up everything. Like, it's a nasty world out there. And I, so I want to get into my nasty stories. I only read violence and I only watch horror. And some of that is, uh, is definitely an overcorrective. Uh, we are not going to pretend like clean fiction or those who like it are sinning. They are not. It is not an automatic sin to only want to read or watch what you would call clean fiction. It's vulnerable to challenge, but it's not vulnerable to accusations of sin. I think that it would be wrong to do that to our brothers and sisters. Concession number two, we will not be legalistic in favor of clean fiction either. I don't think that the Bible would suggest this is the only kind of story that Christians are allowed to enjoy or that it's even the best kind of story. The rather cliched defense that the Bible itself does not qualify for that standard remains true. If you doubt me somehow, go to Judges 19 or go to Revelation 19, two very violent chapters. Judges 19 shows the evil in the nation of Israel without a king when they turned from God's law and did as they pleased, uh, including a lot of uh, sexual identity obsessiveness, I might suggest. And then uh, Revelation 19 shows Jesus Christ coming back on a white horse and slaying armies with a word from his mouth, the sword from his mouth, which is the word of God. Uh, that's not clean reads. I don't think, uh, don't think Christians would understand it that way. Concession three, uh, our standard is not don't be legalistic anyway. Uh, I don't think that Christians just trying to avoid legalism are going to meet with a lot of success in their daily life any more than they would meet with success if they're like, just avoid sin, just avoid sin, don't get dirty, just avoid sin, just avoid legalism. Uh, avoiding stuff is not how Christians uh, react to things. Our standard is glorify God, which means we avoid some stuff, but it is a proactive standard. We are made to glorify God, not just to stay out of the dirt. Uh, God himself is holy. If we glorify God, trying to get close to him, trying to be like Jesus Christ, then avoiding the nasty stuff uh, will follow. Concession four, this is a personal issue for a lot of people. People have deeply personal preferences about stories, whether we call them clean or otherwise secular, Christian, whatever. Uh, people will associate these experiences with the stories that they've enjoyed. I certainly do. Um, sometimes I think about stories that have uh, powerfully affected me and I'm moved to tears just at the memory of them. And we were talking earlier about the Lord of the Rings. That's one of those stories. So many moments. Uh, still, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the top film trilogy in the world uh, to me. Someone on Twitter was saying, oh, well, the Zack Snyder, uh, Snyder DC movies are better than the Lord of the Rings. And I said, no, dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, wow. Like, I want to restore the Snyderverse with the you, best of you them. Got, you got put in a corner almost there. Nope, <laughs> nope. I'm not. No, no one puts me in a corner over that one. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is better. So this is very personal, and people are going to share strong personal opinions. But let's make sure. Uh, to not confuse our opinions, uh, our strong emotions uh, with, uh, with spiritual impulses. They're not always the same. Finally, stories do help people heal from trauma uh, and heal, recover from uh, the consequences of sin in different ways. That also figures uh, into our exploration of these issues. So we'll get to that discussion in just a moment. First, let's explore our first sponsor of this episode of Fantastical Truth, which is Sean Smucker's novel, The Weight of Memory, published by Ravel Books. Lorehaven actually reviewed this story not long ago, and I will present that review in its entirety. 
what would you give for a chance to change the past or prevent it from recurring? Paul Elias is burdened by regret and the tumor that may take his life at any time. So he embarks upon a desperate quest to find a new guardian for his granddaughter Pearl in the small hometown he fled 40 years ago. But this is a novel by Sean Smucker, and in the weight of memory, dark secrets lurk beneath even the most placid of surfaces. Is the ghostly woman who makes Pearl run strange errands at night merely a phantom of Pearl's imagination or something more? The story unfolds like a sleeper waking from a dream, slowly, tentatively, clinging to the hope or fear of world-ending reality. Smucker imbues his tale with characteristic melancholy, a haunted awe of lost and desolate places, but also with deep compassion for its flawed and thoughtful characters. In the end, however, the dream world never fully recedes, and the weight of memory may prove satisfying, mainly to readers who love ambiguity. Our reviewer felt this story is best for adult readers who wish to sink down into an imaginative and immersive reverie. We will include the link to that review and more information about the weight of memory in our show notes for this episode. You can also find all of our sponsor notes at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, so let's let's go to our first question here. What do we mean by saying clean fiction? Yeah, let's get that defined. Zach, how do you, how do you hear that? I'm just curious from a personal vantage when you hear someone say, "I'm looking for a clean book," yeah, or "I want to watch a clean show." Uh, what is the association that you have? Yeah, I would say uh, language is a big one, um, especially for kids. You know, kids are sponges, so we don't want them. Hearing a lot of things that they're going to repeat, uh, especially so what, young what, kids. What are the words that you? What are the exact words that you don't want a story <laughs> to say? Can you repeat them all? Right, right. For on a Christian podcast uh, that has a clean rating on iTunes. Now, I don't think I'll quote all the words, but uh, you know, the Babylon Bee does have a lot of great Christian alternative curse words, and so maybe we can start using well, those. So, so does Tim Hawkins. Like, shut the front door, <laughs> right. son of a motherless goat. Christians, I think Christians are at our best when we're laughing at some of our words, but I think that's a legitimate request that stories not throw all of this bleepity bleep language at us all the time, whether or not there are kids in the room. Yep. Uh, Sex is the other big one, you know, in any kind of depiction of, of that, uh, any just kind of obsessing over bodies or like we talked about gender identity. Uh, violence is another big one, you know, and this is an interesting thing, Stephen. Um, there's a certain kind of like, uh, I guess you could say, uh, scoffer of Christians that say, oh, well, you Christians are fine with all this violence, but you're not fine with sex. I'm like, most Christian parents I know don't want either one, at least for their kids. Now, yes, there are, there is a lot of violence in the Bible and yes, there is, uh, a lot of adulterous sex, but you know, it's usually shown to be a pretty bad thing and it's not shown in graphic detail. And so I think that's kind of more what we're talking about. Like are, are things, uh, shown in graphic detail, you know, drugs is another one, any of like the vid angel filters, like we've talked about before, any kind of new age, occult, witchcraft kind of stuff. People have very different convictions about magic, which we've talked about that a few times on fantastical truth. But you know, it, it's often what it comes down to Stephen is not simply is there this content in a book because again you can find all this stuff in the bible it's how it's depicted is it depicted in graphic detail and is it affirmed as like basically a good thing now a, a really good example of where this gets kind of subtle is the tv show friends the tv show friends was you know broadcast television 
probably PG, maybe PG 13 rated, whatever it was at the time. Didn't depict anything graphic, but people were sleeping around all the time and in a very casual, affirming, positive way, no consequences that ever seemed to happen. And a lot of parents um, said, hey, that is actually the most insidious TV show for this kind of stuff because it, it doesn't have to depict it. It's showing this, uh, these kind of activities as normal and healthy and fun and, and fine. And so it's not always about the graphic detail. It's about how the story treats these things. Yeah, the, the common factor in what you've described for the definition that most people have in mind for clean fiction is that the story does not include X, Y, or Z. Does not include nudity, does not include uh, sexual crassness, uh, does not include at least overt portrayals of violence. I think most people make exceptions for cartoon violence that's completely unserious, like Wiley e. Coyote dropping from a cliff or getting crunched into an accordion by a boulder. Uh, most people include a certain set of bad words. Uh, usually they will allow some words that kind of like I'd be ready, you know, most people use the, the motion picture association uh, standard here or a diet version of that standard. You know, uh, you might allow one F-bomb in a PG-13 movie or a G-rated movie might include the word, the word crap. Like you might say that, for example. I've seen P, uh, G-rated movies, though, where the title of God is misused. And that has always surprised me a bit, that the standards, at least for movies, seem to be lighter uh, for arguable blasphemy or misuse of God's name or God's title, that is, uh, than it is for vulgarities or, or you know, other blasphemous terms, like you know, using scriptural terms for condemnation or using the word hell. Like the standards get a little weird there, but a lot of parents tend to group that in. Well, let's just not have any language at all. And that makes it a clean story. Okay. Again, we're not judging that. And we're not saying the story should have these words or that people who don't want these words are somehow legalistic. That's, that's silly to say. We ought not say that for our brothers and sisters. We're just describing what we mean here by saying clean fiction. I think people also use that term. Um, uh, they use that term simultaneous with stories that are described as wholesome. They say, well, that's a wholesome story. I actually like that word better. Because wholesome implies that there the story has something wholesome. There's something whole about this story. Uh, there's a there's a substantive issue there. The story is present, presenting something positively. Uh, so instead of like you know nudity or you know fornication, uh, you present people falling in love, including experiencing physical attraction, which is definitely part of that. And I think a visual story or a book can certainly show that. Uh, and you know they may choose to commit in marriage and then have children. Well, the story has sex in it. It's just not absolutely right in front of the reader or the viewer all the time. I mean, how, how else are those kids getting there? Yeah. Uh, does people, it fade to black or not? Yeah, exactly. Kind of you know, if, if, if that, so, I mean, real life has sex in it. So it's silly. It's frankly just silly. And it's a straw man to say, oh, you Christians, you're okay with violence, but you're not okay with sex. Dude, we're okay with sex. Okay. Genesis two, God <laughs> made it. So just stop it with the simplistic silliness there. I like the word wholesome better, but other people also use the phrase family friendly. Uh, we actually went on at length about that one in the pop culture parent is uh, what we mean when we say family friendly. It's a story that's suitable for the whole family. And what we point out in the pop culture parent is that that's not always the case, even with what that Rod Dreher reader referred to as like a closed uh, nostalgic fandom. The uh, characters from the Andy Griffith show in the 1960s, black and white, classic, family friendly, wholesome, clean TV. Uh, we're getting together to have a seance. I remember that bit. And they strongly implied that the ghost of the count was actually going to grant their wishes. And like, it was, um, 
it was fun. It was, I guess, wholesome. Um, but it was also literally occult material right there in the Andy Griffith show. And I remember a few times where they would uh, objectify women, even wearing, you know, period appropriate you know, 1960s TV attire. So sometimes your family friendly story is actually not too family friendly. And that is just another um, another little glitch there uh, that we may need to deal with. And a big point we make in the chapter of that book is you've got to discern the family friendly stuff just as much as you would discern anything else. Because a story that does not include X, Y, or Z uh, on the content hit list may also include other ideas. As like you mentioned, friends, like I don't think they were showing like naked people, but they were explicitly referencing all this fornication going on without consequence. And I think that that may actually be, uh, yeah, way more subversive, even though it might be family friendly apart from some language. Like maybe those references are sailed over the kids' heads uh, but the adults are going to internalize them and slowly mm. the adults are going to start to think that this is normal. It's just as normal for these friends to hook up occasionally off screen uh, as it is for these people, you know, working the waitress job uh, to be living in that giant expensive apartment in New York city, as has been <laughs> right, frequently exactly. referenced. I've actually never seen the show. I don't even remember whether I've seen a clip. Yeah. Uh, the final point I would, I'd say here about clean fiction is it's not just something Christians do. Uh, I would uh, wager that a lot of those folks you quoted from the Rod Dreher blog, they're not all evangelical Christians uh, like the kind some of our listeners may remember growing up with. Uh, these are folks from many different walks of life. They may share a variety of political or cultural conservatism. Some of them may be atheists. Some of them may be Catholic or Mormon or Muslim. Or, Muslim I mean, they yeah. come from many different perspectives. So this is a shared interest people have. And, and frankly, it's a bit of a rallying point. Uh, it actually is a big tent image to have a story be clean or family friendly or even wholesome, because that means that uh, generally means there's a lack of certain content. It doesn't mean that the story is going to present Christ or explore the world uh, with a, a gospel centered perspective. It just means the story doesn't have examples of this particular false religion uh, or a particular set of words or a particular uh, kind of blatant violence or something. Yeah, this clean fiction label is very popular and very well understood, and it's I think it's even a marketable category in Amazon. I've I've heard some authors talk about that that write clean romance, for example, or feel good romance, or yeah, yeah. Uh, and even like um, there is a popular romance uh, series which I shall not name. I'm just going to call it billionaire romance, and there is a, a subset of that now called clean billionaire romance. And so, yeah, th this is a category that appeals to a lot of people, particularly appeals to parents who are helping their teens navigate through this stuff or just don't want their teens obsessing over this like a lot of teens are nowadays. So how can we benefit from reading clean fiction? Like we, we've talked about kind of what it is, but why are people drawn into it and why should we read clean fiction? Yeah, this is the pro side here. Now, this is the part where we don't just throw it all out like a legalist, but we're actually going in and we're saying, okay, what's the common grace here? I mean, in the pop culture parent, we have a list of questions that we think Christians should ask of any kind of popular culture with or without their kids. Uh, and the third question is what's good and true and beautiful about the story? What's the common grace? So in this case, we're not taking a particular story and analyzing it, uh, subjecting it to the breakdown. We're just asking mainly about the genres or these types of stories and their effect on people. And I think that a lot of Christians in particular, like I can't speak for the, the atheists or you know people who are not Christians who want clean fiction or family-friendly stories, 
I think the shared interest, though, is common grace for a non-Christian. They want a story that's not going to overtly poison them uh, with bad ideas or self-obsession or any of that kind of content. But uh, for Christians in particular, I think that a lot of them want clean stories, so-called, because they sincerely desire to pursue holiness. They may have identified an area of weakness in themselves. You know, when I see that violent act on TV, like it, it makes me feel justified in my anger against political leader X uh, or that bad neighbor I used to have. And I don't want that desire endorsed by the story. I don't want to see my sin fed back to me. So I'm going to avoid that show. Uh, someone who came from a background of promiscuity, like maybe especially affected by uh, a novel that shows even clean romantic scenes, you know, like, oh no, like you thought it was a love triangle, but it wasn't, you know, who knows, maybe you want to put that away. And then as we've talked about with a couple of other guests, and we'll certainly do so again, uh, someone who has a background in the occult or in a kind of idolatrous view of the world, trying to control their world through witchcraft or even some kind of white magic approach, because there's versions of that that are styled as Christianity. That person may want to avoid like even a story like the Harry Potter series. Because rightly or wrongly, they associate the idea of the label of witchcraft with what they were into. And before they start talking about the kids or those other people out there, they may rightly identify themselves a weakness. I don't want to read that story because it just makes me think about my sin. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he's talking about the need for certain Christians to get rid of meat sacrifice to idols. Or even if you don't have an issue with meat sacrifice to idols, this is in 1 Corinthians 8-10. through uh, you might need to put that away because you don't want to make your neighbor have issues with that active situation going on right there, not just trying to head off a hypothetical. So real holiness pursuit uh, is at the heart of a lot of people trying to read clean fiction. Um, and Zach, you've also, and I'd like to elaborate on this, you've mentioned too the special need that parents of impressionable children have for stories that could be described as clean or wholesome or family friendly. Children in particular automatically have these kinds of weaknesses. They're going to pick up on bad behaviors. It's not appropriate to show them uh, even movies with redemptive violence or, or books with, you know, very moderate sensual content. Like teenagers can obsess over things. Small children are not ready for them. You do tend to need stories that help reinforce positive morality. And, and even better than that, positive portrayals of the gospel and of Christ or his people uh, working in a realistic world, but presented it in an age-appropriate way. So I grew up in the 90s with all the 90s action movies <laughs> that were popular at the time. You know, Face Off, Robocop, Terminator, uh, the John Woo movies, just tons and tons of violence, uh, R-rated violence. And I remember going to see Saving Private Ryan, which was like ultra-violent. You know, th this was a, I was a high school senior, I think. And Saving Private Ryan really shocked me out of how callous and desensitized I'd become to violence. And it was a period of time after that where I'm like, I just don't want to watch any R-rated violent movies anymore because, man, this is, this is real violence that real people went through, and it's awful. And it sort of took that shock to kind of shock me out of my kind of blasé attitude about uh, murder and killing. You know, and as a parent, I, I don't want my kids to be desensitized the way that I desensitized myself. I, I don't want them to have such a low view of human life that it's just kind of taken for granted when someone is 
killed or whatever. Movies and in, in stories that don't have these elements allow a reader or a viewer to focus on more positive virtues. So virtues like courage, friendship, leadership, sacrifice, forgiveness, and, and even just nonviolence, you know, cause like with little kids, it's like, you're just trying to keep them from like punching each other, or throwing things in each other's face. And so like, you just have to kind of start with the basics, like, Hey, use your words to like work this out and just talk to each other. But having a clean story allows us to kind of, instead of like discerning, like, okay, this person did this thing violent and that's bad. It, it allows us to instead have a story that focuses on a virtue that we, that we want our children to, to build like perseverance. Like that's a big one right now, or patience or delayed gratification is like, that's really missing overall in our entire culture. And so a, a clean story it, it not only helps us avoid the kind of unclean elements, but it helps us focus on holiness. It, hel- it helps us pursue righteousness. Exactly. Uh, you we're referring to the need for uh, stories that are presenting these virtues. I would note, too, that it's not just Christians who understand this, I, at least up until the present. And this may be changing because we've all seen those viral stories about uh, the new blues clues having drag queens on it and like, you know, and then gonzo cross dresses and things. So this may be changing. But at least the last time my wife and I were helping raise a toddler for a couple of months as part of a, a foster a foster care, uh, we had to find her lots of these kinds of stories. And of course, obviously, she's two years old. She can't read. You know, She has to watch these things. She doesn't know what's going on. But, you know, bright colors, friendly human voices, uh, the Purple impressions. Dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, specifically, she watched a lot of PJ Masks. There's lots and lots mm-hmm. of PJ Masks. And that was the, and that was, I think, the only preschool show we found that wasn't excruciatingly annoying i'm sure there are others <laughs> uh people seem to like bluey a lot the um that show from australia right uh, i wish we'd gotten into that one at the time but i don't think it was as popular but that show i would call that a clean show by the traditional definition of does not include these things i mean the, there's you know these preschoolers in pajamas you know fighting as superheroes you know Okay, you could have violence, but you didn't, you know, it was just super, super sanitized, but that is appropriate for a two-year-old. And I think it's actually appropriate as training for the two-year-old then to understand that there are good guys in the world and there are bad guys. Uh, and, and, and some of these uh, little ideas in there just, uh, you know, kind of ground up like baby food, you know, uh, they're not old enough for solid food. Oh, we're back to a biblical metaphor here. Uh, sometimes a young person or a young Christian is not old enough for solid food and they need the simpler stuff that applies to children, but it also applies to adults. And I keep noting when you're talking about getting these stories as a dynamic response to the child's personality or the child's need, like that is variable, that is personalized. So we're not talking about only watching a particular kind of clean fiction or reading that fiction but doing that as a response to knowing the child. And I would take that then to the grown-up level and realizing that we can benefit from clean fiction when we know ourselves. And that's part of sanctification. You've got to know your weaknesses. You've got to know your areas of sin. And I would say too, your, your, your areas of vulnerability. It's not an issue of sin, but just an issue of living in a sinful world. Somebody who's an abuse victim doesn't need to be just watching or reading stories about abuse victims, Uh, whether or not they get their vengeance or get their justice, you know, maybe that's not good for them. 
we're talking here not just about fighting sin, but recovery. And uh, I think um, Marion Jacobs actually in her articles on Lorehaven uh, really put me onto this uh, in terms of the authors or the fans who boast that stories will wreck them. Now, there was one author who said, like, I want my stories to wreck you, the reader. And Marion asks, why? Why do you want yeah. to wreck the reader? Like, I mean, haha, cutesy. Oh, you know, I feel so wrecked. Like, but isn't that harmful? Like, if, you, if you're using that ironically sure. or as, a, as an extreme statement, like, okay, we're not, we're not picking on that legalistically. But some people, books are powerful, folks. We don't dismiss them. It's never just a story, just as we're never just a person. Stories of power over us. Good stories even more so. Do we really want to make a pattern of trying to be wrecked by stories? Are we sure that doesn't cross over into the territory of self-harm? I just wanted to feel something even if it was pain. That's dangerous. That is an assault on the image of God. It's on the spectrum of suicide. I'm not a shrink, but I know enough to know that. And then it's Mary emotional Moore, cutting. It, it, is, it, it is. It can be emotional cutting. Yeah. And, and that's not even an issue of, um, you know, particular, like, like I'm not trying to uh, sin sexually by watching the show or something that this is an issue of mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. And Marion gets into that in her series. We'll of course link to them in the show notes. Her recent article was the more positive answer to that. Yes. Stories should help heal you, the reader stories should be part of that healing process and clean fiction can be part of that healing process. Not always. And some people obviously use that more harmfully and we'll get to that. But I know that for my part, if I've had a hard day or I'm struggling with bad memories or something like that, grief certainly going on, uh, sometimes I need more advanced stories to go through that. I'm famously a fan of Zack Snyder's Justice League, fought for that movie for years, believed in it longer than any sane adult, along with thousands, of course. Uh, that story was, I mean, it's an R-rated movie. There are three F-bombs in that movie. So language is an issue. Other than that, it's actually surprisingly light on language. Obviously, lots of superhero violence, but such noble, bright, and noble dark themes, particularly of resurrection in that story. And man, a few days after my dad died back in March, I needed that. I didn't need a Hallmark Channel movie. I didn't need a clean read. I wanted a, a, a light R-rated superhero film that I had been invested in for years. That worked for me. But at other times, you know, sometimes I just need to watch a silly Looney Tunes. Also on HBO Max, by the way. <laughs> and in other times, I might need to watch a Studio Ghibli movie. Uh, that's from the Japanese uh, director, Hayao Miyazaki, and others. You know, those are not always clean, but they're like PG rated generally, unless you're talking about the Princess Mononoke or something. Uh, those are calming stories with simple virtues and some weird Japanese mysticism every once in a while. But they are, I would say, cleaner stories. They're closer to that more wholesome side of things. I like those films as an adult. And, and those kinds of stories are appropriate. They're simple. They're winsome. They're wholesome. Christians like them. Secular readers like them. And these stories reflect wholesome reality in a way that darker stories cannot. You can get a noble dark story that shows virtue well against the backdrop of, uh, of, a, of a shadow. The virtue can shine more brightly like a diamond on a velvet background. I forget where I got that expo, that comparison, but it's a good one. It's a good image there. But wholesome stories, maybe you just need the light shining, you know, just bits of darkness because there's still got to be a little conflict or misunderstanding or love triangle or whatever. But you need a simpler, clean story sometimes. And especially if you've got Christians who are overcorrecting 
for having too much precious moments figurines on grandma's uh, collectible shelf and too many Thomas Kincaid paintings or sentimentality. And they go all edge Lord. Like I just only want to listen to metal bands and watch horror movies. No, you're missing part of reality. And C.S. Lewis agrees with me, or certainly uh, screw tape. The demon from the screw tape letters agrees with me. Those stories, the dark stories are not more realistic always than the clean stories. Screw tape tells Wormwood, you will notice that we have got them, the humans, completely fogged about the meaning of the word real. They tell each other of some great spiritual experience. All that really happened was that you heard some music in a lighted building. Here, real means the bare physical facts separated from the other elements in the experience they actually had. Screwtape goes on to say that we want the humans to think that the only real things are violence and darkness and destruction and war and human remains plastered on a wall. Very vivid image there. But if you get into a church and you hear music and you feel the presence of God and you want to raise your hands in worship, that's not real. What you felt wasn't real. Not true. It's all real. The darkness and the light. I think another reason why people love clean fiction and why it is a helpful thing is because we feel like there's like this tidal wave going through our culture in, in so many different aspects of culture wave of sludge. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we do need captain planet, but, uh, there's an article I found from intellectual takeout. It's like, what, why are Amish romance novels so popular? And I think this has a really good answer to the question because We'd really be remiss if we didn't mention Amish romance because that is a huge category for, I guess, what you could call clean fiction. I I think most of it's clean. I I haven't ever really read it. It started um, with, uh, yeah, I haven't read one either. It started with The Shunning. I forget the year it was published, but that's actually one of the books focused on by uh, Daniel uh, Silliman with Christianity Today, who wrote a book called Reading Evangelicals, just focusing on Christian-made fiction in particular. Uh, We're actually hoping to talk with him in October. Uh, he singles out This Present Darkness and Left Behind and a couple of other books, among them The Shunning. And I, I presume he gets into more of that genre and respecting that genre throughout the yeah. book, as far as I can tell. I'm looking, for, looking forward to reading it. I mean, this this article mentions only just three authors are responsible for 30 million books sold in this genre. Beverly Lewis is one of them, which <laughs> that's I, a lot, a of, lot power. of people. Have, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, this is a very big trend. Again, this is probably beyond just the Christian market. There's a lot of people that are attracted to this. And the author zeroes in on what it is. He says, it's these are readers who feel powerless to curb the harmful impact that certain technologies have on their lives. Uh, Thomas Umstadt has called this future shock, that a lot of people just see the advancement of technology, not simply that, hey, there's a new iPhone or something every year, but how much technology is becoming so central to people's lives. And, you know, the Amish, they're, they're not simply Luddites, this article says, but they are very concerned about how the relentless advancement of uh, technology and social media is affecting relational bonds as well as traditions and, and religion. A lot of people are attracted to clean fiction because it's like, hey, maybe culture is moving way too fast and maybe we just need to slow down a little bit or at least just pause or maybe go backwards a little bit. And again, that's something that appeals to a ton of people. There are all kinds of people that are trying to live the minimalist uh, lifestyle. You know, there's the tiny homes, there's the uh, Marie Kondo, you know, the, the way of life. And there's a lot of people that are just saying, you know what, we live in such a hyper consumerist culture. 
and so many of these other factors that make unclean fiction kind of go along with that, that I, I think it's um, clean fiction gives people sort of a, an escape hatch to kind of get away from all of this and say, you know what, I just want to go back to a simpler way of life and just a simpler time and not be so caught up in what culture is screaming at me all the time I need to be concerned about. That's a really great point. Clean fiction as a means of resisting materialism, resisting the idolatry that the accumulation of things will make you happy. I think there's another element there too, because just as someone who has accumulated a lot of things may find themselves tempted more toward minimalism because they've been there, they've had all their stuff and they realize it didn't make them happy. I'm going to try something else. People can also feel that way, I think, with experiences. And I think that may partly explain the difference, the general difference, a lot of generalizations here between how younger people, well, let's stick with younger Christians and older Christians may look at clean fiction. Generally, older people tend to like the cleaner stories. I would guess that the people who love the Hallmark Channel uh, or the Christian movies that promise a clean experience tend to be on the older side or their parents with kids, you know, who want a wholesome alternative, wholesome alternative, TM, registered. Uh, older folks, at least in previous generations, it seems they have been through a lot of terrible things in life, in real life. Uh, they have, a lot of them have seen war. A lot of them have gone through trauma. They've suffered the deaths of loved ones, diseases, suffering. I think that leaves them more willing to engage with stories that are simpler, that are more focused on virtue, or at least are void of violence, language, bad ideas, things that they already know enough of in real life, arguably, particularly if they're veterans or have gone through disease or something. Why would they want that in their fiction? Uh, there's plenty of that already in their real life. By contrast, it seems generally, again, that younger people have not had those experiences and maybe in the best explanation, uh, they think deep down that they need those experiences. They feel the impulse that they will grow if they've been through suffering or disease or in war or any of those things, uh, trauma, and they can't get that, but they suspect that there's some benefit there, or maybe they just want to level with their friends. I'm not sure, but a cheap and easy way to seemingly go through that experience, obviously, is to go through it vicariously through a book that describes these experiences in, in fiction or a TV show. That's the real world after all. And I think that may be another reason why some kinds of young Christians in particular who feel like they're outside of the real world feel that they can get inside the real world by engaging with non-clean stories or rejecting clean fiction. Uh, once again, it goes back to the point that no, clean fiction does also reflect part of the real world. It is real the virtues and the brightnesses and sometimes even the simplicities and the sentimentalism that clean fiction presents. It's not the only real world. There's also blood and guts out there and suffering and trauma and all that stuff, but it, it can all be real. If you focus exclusively on one or another, uh, you're retreating to some kind of bubble, whether it's a shiny clean soap bubble uh, or a bubble that forms on the surface of the frothing sewage. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what could we lose by reading only clean fiction. 
First, let's present again a little clean nonfiction. I don't know if Thomas Imstead Jr. would call his novel marketing podcast a clean listen, but I've never heard anything dirty from it. Only good stuff directed towards Christians who are called not just to enjoy fandom and to enjoy fantasy as a reader or a fan of that, uh, but who feel that they really want to get out there and create this stuff. Lorehaven and Fantastical Truth emphasize being a great and godly reader. And the Novel Marketing Podcast, our second sponsor, emphasizes applying excellence in the creation of these stories. Thomas has many episodes. It's actually the longest running book marketing podcast. It's uh, been going back for quite some time. One of my favorite episodes is uh, his The Ten Commandments of Book Marketing episode. We've been going through one of those for each of the sponsored slots for the past few weeks, and we'll be doing that until we get through all ten he has commandment number three, thou shalt persist in thy craft. It's my best impression of the guy he has reading those. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll have to have to listen to the episode, which of course we'll link to in the show notes and at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. I'll just sum up real quick. It's just an encouragement to improve your writing, to keep persisting. Uh, this is a call to perseverance. You never get it right. If you're trying to write a story like this, you never get it right the first time. You've always got to be reading books about craft. You've got to be reading great stories and you've got to be getting expert feedback from people who are good at this. Uh, not just your friends or relatives, but folks who know what they're talking about. This is part of training. And once again, I think it's almost like a sanctification process. That's what we've been talking about in this episode. Sometimes you need a clean story to get better at being like Jesus, just as you sometimes need expert feedback and persistence to get better at the craft of writing. So we've talked about what we can gain from reading clean fiction, but Stephen, what are some things that we could lose if we only read and watched clean fiction? Do you think there's any danger to exclusively sticking with clean fiction? Yeah, I, I definitely think there is. And again, we're just assuming the definitions of clean fiction that we've had, you know, clean fiction that is void of certain ideas a void of violent moments or sexual content, like with the exception, I think of nudity, because I don't think naked people need to be on our TV screens for any reason that just exploits the actors. Uh, I think that even stories with language and violence and even bad ideas are useful to the Christian. And if we ignore these stories or pretend that they're always evil, uh, we are missing something about our call in the world. Uh, we're also committing a possible theological error. Uh, we might be acting out the idea, whether or not we believe it, but then if we act it out, we may start to believe the idea uh, that sin or morality comes from what we take in from the world. This is not true. And Jesus Christ himself says that it's not true. Our morality, uh, any virtue that we have comes from God, a being necessarily who is outside of us, and sin does not come from our groaning world. Sin, as we see in Genesis 3 and all throughout the Bible, and Jesus reinforces this in Mark 7, sin starts in the human heart with the willful human choice to rebel against God, to make ourselves enemies against God, which leads to spiritual death. The Apostle Paul calls this being dead in our transgressions and sins. And sin starts in the human center, the soul, and spreads outward to what we do, the stories that we make, and uh, even on a cosmic level, uh, the consequences in the world, and the world pays us back with thorns and thistles and earthquakes and natural disasters. And I would think uh, some of the consequences that we have, 
that we would call trauma, which is a result of either our previous bad choices or others' sins against us. So all of that stuff is reflected in the world and in its stories, but does not come from the world and its stories. And sometimes when we focus on clean fiction, we miss that truth. And I think we compromise our ability to build up resistance, to build up Christ-likeness, to be able to engage more with the darker realities of our world. Uh, we can also fall for the myth that clean stories and good feelings and safe spaces are our primary means of healing or that we just need to stay there or else we won't heal. I think that they are temporary means of healing, as we mentioned earlier, uh, personalized approach to know ourselves and to know what we need in the moment. Uh, but if I've withdrawn into myself and I'm only watching, you know, G-rated Hallmark movies or only reading simple stories, uh, I'm not sure that that's a great way to live the rest of my life. What if I start porting that principle over to how I engage with people? What if I started treating people as just toxic if they hurt me or disagree with me? And therefore, I need to cut them out of my life just like I cut that story that made me feel bad out of my life. This may be a temporary need for a weak or vulnerable person, uh, but it is not a way to live. We need to be seeking healing so that we can be strong, so that we can engage with these people, so that we can share Christ with them. We're called not to be hermits from the world, but we are called to go out in the world as ambassadors for Jesus. That is a command. We don't have to read certain bad or non-clean stories to do that, but we certainly have to engage with unclean people. Uh, that is a direct order from scripture and stories that are not necessarily clean may be part of our training for that. And then my, my biggest point here, and, and I often use this uh, just as a gentle challenge to people who, who are acting or speaking as if they only want clean stories. Uh, clean stories or a diet exclusively of clean stories can imply that the gospel of Jesus Christ or shallow versions of that, which some people call moralistic therapeutic deism, just this kind of general idea of an all-purpose God and all-purpose assumed morals, clean stories imply that the gospel only works in a world that has been pre-cleaned by someone else, the author or the fan. Uh, if I go into, uh, let's say, the sentimentalist Christian bookstore painting you know, that somebody may have seen on grandma's wall back in 1995, uh, that world uh, it has been pre-cleaned by another hero. The artist has gotten rid of hints of dirty reality. The artist is, in effect, the Messiah there uh, who has sanctified that world of sin. It's easy to say with a painting that maybe doesn't need to show examples of sin, you know, that the Thomas Kincaid uh, village or the cottage, you know, doesn't need to have a dead rabbit in the front yard <laughs> to show the fall. But a, a, a more dynamic story, you know, three-dimensional story with a, with, a, with a point A to point B it's moving to, like a movie or a book, like that has to show, that has to show a world that has been affected by sin in some way and not uber sanitized uh, for your health all the time. But if the, if the author got there first and cleaned it up, then the gospel is weakened. The impact of the gospel uh, has been blunted. Why does this world need Jesus? And one of the clearest examples, I, I will pick on it a little bit, is that Left Behind movie with Nicholas Courage. Uh, even the made-for-TV movie, the one with Kirk Cameron, showed a world uh, that was uh, rife with wars and rumors of wars, and the, and the bad CGI tanks were rolling into Israel over the stock photo of the desert. And you could at least tell, okay, this is a world that's uh, about ready for some end times going on. Uh, going back to our previous episode with Darby Kern there, 
Uh, but the 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 one with Nicolas Cage showed this at first. It showed this sanitized, happy Hallmark Channel world, probably even more uh, more saccharine than the Hallmark Channel world. Uh, and then suddenly, hey folks, it's Rapture time. Uh, let's crash some planes and things. Um, that just did not make any sense. Like, well, why in the world would you need to kickstart some end times for this world? They they were doing okay. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, Nicholas Cage is flirting with the flight attendant and that's not cool. Uh, but otherwise there's happy people breakdancing in the mall. Uh, why do we need all this carnage here? Well, then why do we need the gospel? If you focus too much on clean fiction, uh, then you start to suspect that maybe we don't need the gospel to clean up mm. this world. Maybe we just need virtue. Uh, maybe we just need clean stories and that dishonors Jesus. You know, I often wonder, and this is just total speculation, but I often wonder how many curse words Jesus heard because he hung out with fishermen. He hung out with tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, uh, pretty rough people. And so what were the kinds of things that he heard from them? Now, you know, he's the son of God. So look at different rules in a lot of ways compared to what he could hear or see without stumbling into sin. And he told us very clearly, look, don't teach little ones to sin. It'd be better to hang a stone around your neck and jump into the ocean than, than teach a kid to sin. And, and you know, we talked about there's the parenting aspect of that. But, you know, I also think about what did Paul read? Because in Acts 17, he's quoting from their poets, their philosophers. So Paul read a lot of secular stuff. And I think that must have been part of his education growing up as a Roman citizen. And yet Paul was one of our greatest apostles and Christian thinkers of all time. And so he was able to read secular stuff without it dragging him away. You know, you talked about how sin comes within, Stephen. I, I think about that verse in James 1. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Yep. You know, we, we can't blame a book or a movie for enticing us to sin. Maybe it could give us the idea if we'd never thought of that idea before. But sin comes from within, and um, you know we, we can't just blame it on a story we've read. The, the biggest reason I think it's a good idea to read and watch stories carefully with you know some some of this content is it's a reality simulator. You know we are seeing worldly people in their element and how they relate um, to each other and how they live their lives and what you know philosophies guide them. This prepares us to meet real people in the real world who live in similar ways. Sometimes it can be really shocking uh, for a very sheltered Christian kid to meet very worldly kids, whether in a public school or college or just the workforce, if they've had no concept of what these people are like. And in a fiction uh, story, you get to know these people a little bit and you can sort of build some empathy for them too, even if you don't agree with them at all with their lifestyles and with their choices. Um, so I don't, I don't think it necessarily uh, is going to lead someone into sin. It's more that you're showing how people sin and why. I think if nothing else, it also helps us build compassion for people who are trapped in sin so that we don't just see ourselves as the clean people and them as the unclean people. We are all unclean. We all are prone to sin. And we all need the saving grace of Christ. So, you know, these stories can help us see that, you know, we're no different. We could make the same choices as this character, and we can make the same choices as our neighbor. Like, we are no better. We're, you know, like the tax collector says, look, 
Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that was the person that was justified. It wasn't the Pharisee that was saying, I'm so glad I'm not like these people. So I, I think the danger of too much clean fiction is it gives us too unrealistic of a view of ourselves and others. Yeah. And, and it is about, it's, it's not about viewing the world uh, as this terrible, only dirty place. And then we need to go soak ourselves and just go rolling in the dirt so we can know what it's like. But we're also not looking at the world as the super clean place, obviously. Uh, we want to see the world as Christ sees the world. Uh, that's part of how we honor him, as opposed to this emphasis on a pre-cleaned world that has no need for him. Uh, or as opposed to a world that is so dirty that he just can't get into it unless he gets some dirt under his divine fingernails. Uh, I think a balanced diet of clean fiction, especially responding to our own needs, uh, versus other kinds of fiction. I don't mean dirty fiction. I don't mean pornographic material or uber violent stuff. Uh, some of that stuff is without value. Uh, and I've stopped watching stuff, not because it's uber violent, but just because. Okay, so specific example, uh, I stopped watching the uh, the DC shows on the CW because they got their memos one season, and then suddenly, you know, every other character is sexualized or or you know sexually self interested. Like it's just it's not fun anymore. You know, those shows were not me engaging with the world for the good of my neighbors. They were something that I did on my own. Uh, it was a Sabbath type show. Like I'm just I'm only watching this to rest. Like I'm not doing worldview engagement at this time. Well, they took that away from me. And so like, well, I don't care anymore. You know, I wouldn't call it a dirty show necessarily, but it's just, it's, I, I didn't need it to be a clean show. It's superheroes, it's violence, but I just got bored and I stopped watching. And there may be reasons for us to do that. Um, but just clean fiction, if we overcorrect and just go for clean fiction, that can lead us away from God's reality where people are groaning. Um, it's, it's self-care at the expense of training simulating like you said to care for others uh, and i don't think christians have that option uh, if stories are part of training to live in a world and be like jesus uh, and if if we find that that's how we best train is by engagement with this kind of fiction uh, then we absolutely have to follow those missionary calls those are non-optional and i think that's why some christians i think go too far in almost seeming to hate the people who just like clean fiction because they associate that person uh, with an anti-ministry person, an anti-missional person. Well, that person just wants to sit in their apartment and, and watch uh, you know, G-rated Christian movies. Uh, they're not interested in missions that are not interested in helping me, that aren't interested in helping my ministry. Uh, so I don't like that stuff they're into. Uh, and I think that, that, that I can understand that but it's also the wrong approach then to just throw out all clean fiction. But then that person is also wrong for just obsessing with the clean fiction uh, and not engaging with the real world. We, we don't have that option as Christians. So I think we need clean fiction in moderation, like any kind of story. We shouldn't obsess over clean fiction any more than we obsess with other kinds of fiction. Uh, clean fiction may be a comfort food, but too much of any comfort food will lead to an imbalanced diet. I don't think we have that option as Christians either. Uh, as Marion Jacobs in her series said, like, no, we don't want to overcorrect uh, for the stories that just seek to wreck us. Uh, that's not good. We do need to protect ourselves. It is part of appropriate self-care. Love your neighbor, scripture says, as you love yourself. That's assumed in scripture. But we also don't want to be coddled by our stories. We don't want our stories to help us indulge in those idolatrous impulses. 
good to want a simple world and resist technology encroaching, uh, but it would not be good then to hide away from the world. The Bible does not give us that option. Jesus is going to clean up the world and make it a secure space for all of us. When his glory fills the world, then everywhere will be in a sense safe because it's under his obvious fulfilled kingship. That's not the world we live in now. So we can't create that little safe bubble for ourselves. We're not Jesus. We can't fill a certain space with the glory of cleanness apart from his influence. And he defines how and when he's going to fill the earth with his glory and with that safety. Well, let's head over to the comm station to see what notes we've gotten from our listeners on our previous episodes. So David Allen Mock wrote in reply to our response to him on episode 60, on episode 77. And David says, quote, I found the article on the Gospel Coalition you recommended about J. Mark Bertrand. It's called Christian Artists Tell the Truth About the World. It was September 2016 by Phil Wade. Thanks for sending me to it, end quote. You are welcome, David. And we will put the link to that in the show notes. It's a good article. And we got another note from Autumn who replied to episode 78 with Kara Swanson about Peter Pan. Autumn says, quote, when I was in first grade, I used to be obsessed with the Peter Pan story, mainly the Broadway play I saw on TV. I never read the book, but a few aspects of the Peter Pan story spoke to me, especially since it interfaced with the way I was contemplating the note of, the notion of death at the time. I was a Christian even then, but the physical aspect of death still scared me. Since Peter Pan never grew old, he would be able to live forever, so long as he didn't get killed by Captain Hook or something. So he had risk and hardship and adventure, but still that chance to live on and on in a place that was important to him. There are elements of that that I wanted and wished for, even if I can never have them to the extent or at least on earth. So Peter Pan brought some of these things out of me where I could notice and work through them. I'm at a different stage now when it comes to thinking about death and Peter Pan is no longer my favorite story, but it was an important step along my path and an important part in my development. I'm kind of glad to hear that the original Peter Pan book was darker and different than the movies. I might have to read it in Kara Swanson's novel, Dust, sometime in the future, end quote. That's a really great companion to the discussion we just had. You note a reader who is getting into that story specifically as a means of dealing with the fear of death. And Peter Pan, who I would not say is a clean story. I wouldn't even say that the Disney movie in the 50s is that clean of a story. Um, you you kind of have topless mermaids, guys. Do we all just agree that <laughs> that's a little bit problematic to use the in vogue term uh, to have that going on? Like, yes, they have a little starfish and whatever. But yeah, that, that wasn't great. I remember as a kid just going, um, we OK with this? Like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> not to mention the, as Kara mentioned in our discussion, uh, the highly questionable portrayals of the red man in that story. Um, yes, hideous, hideous stereotype. I don't know if it's as harmful as some people act, but it still does need to be at least discerned and talked about. But it sounds like that story really helped and it was not a clean story. I can't think of a clean story that could deal with that kind of problem, like a, a visceral fear of death. You need a more complex story to work through those things. Resurrection is a tough reality because you have to die first. And your cheesy Christian movie where somebody's on their deathbed and then they die and then what they they 
go up to heaven and then they come back or something, you know, um, that's, that's cheating death. Uh, you've got to understand that death is brutal, uh, that it doesn't belong here. And most clean stories just can't portray that in a way that is honoring to scripture. Well, if you have a comment you want to share with us about clean fiction, send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. And we would love to feature that in an upcoming episode. And you can find us on social media. Just search for Lorehaven, especially Instagram, where we have a lot of content coming out all the time. So we would love to hear from you, our listener. You can also subscribe to Lorehaven, get reviews every Friday, notifications if you want of the new podcast episodes every Tuesday, and then articles as they release uh, weekly. Just go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. Next on Fantastical Truth. Here we go. Should Christians celebrate Halloween? What if we call it a harvest festival? Is it okay then? Well, we've all heard the jokes about that, but whether we engage or escape the thing, we must take seriously how our neighbors perceive the occasion. Right down to our lawn decorations, Halloween's trappings can encourage us to celebrate good things like fall and even fandom, yet the holiday can also provoke us into flippant mockery of death and disease and even mocking the hope of resurrection, and that is truly horrible. So yes, we're going to dress up and distribute some candy, and hurl some light against the darkness in this tricky topic. Meanwhile, maybe you want your fiction to have more of a slick soapy sensation, or maybe you like getting more dirt under your fingernails. Either way, don't obsess over one aspect of reality. Our real world has both clean virtues because God is holy, but it also has darkness because of human sin and suffering. A good story reflects both, just as our reality reflects both, and Jesus, not our stories, is going to make all things new as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth 